welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken, May 12th, 2010. Exactly. Another episode. Yep, and we're finishing off a whole series. So after this, as of right now, there are no other New Frontier comic books for us to review. Which is really too bad. This is I did enjoy them. Had to go back to the books. The novels, that is. Yeah, and there's plenty of those that we're behind on, so... Exactly. Uh, Of course, that'll be in... uh, our own reading, quite separate from this podcast. So, we are going to go for a record today. Right, Donovan? I'm with you, buddy. We're getting it done in an hour or less. Yes! We've got three great books to talk about, but they are relatively short comics. Uh, but they're good comics, and uh, we are going to uh, kick them off. Yeah, it's definitely going to take longer to review them than it was to read them. Or, excuse me, shorter to review them than it was to read them. Because I had to spend quite a bit of time... Uh, reading these six books to figure out who everybody was because I was not uh, as uh, up-to-date on the novels as I probably should have been. And there are a lot of characters to keep track of. And some of them came from the show, some of them came from earlier books, but uh, we'll get into that later. Exactly. Issue number three of the uh, Turnaround series, Uh, episodes one and two we did last week. Star Trek New Frontier, we should probably throw that out there. Yes, we should do that. Now, um, actually, something I hadn't thought of doing for the synopsis, although we probably should, is what happened... Well, you listened to episode 11, right? We don't need to go through what what happened in the storyline up till now, do we? Of course not. Okay. So we're just going to launch right into it. But if you do want to know what happened up to now, listen to last week's episode. So the uh, issue cover of number three shows uh, Saletta behind Admiral Jellicoe apparently doing a, a Vulcan mind meld with a dark-haired mystery man partially visible in the background. An unknown ship streaking towards the Excalibur on the bottom. So, uh, opening the book, the story opens with an external shot of the Romulan Spectre stealth ship. Lucius, the sole occupant of the bridge, is trying to undo the damage done to the ship by Jellicoe, who kidnapped Saletta in the last issue. Suddenly, Spectre is hailed by Captain Calhoun... And after a short conversation, Lucius is beamed aboard Excalibur to face Calhoun. The always funny Kebron palms Lucius's head like a small basketball and speaks of the vague stickiness he will have to endure if Lucius does not start talking about where Soletta is. Scene cuts to the paradox, where Jellicoe holds Soletta at phaser point. When Jellicoe falls for the oldest trick in the book, Soletta is is able to nerve-pinch him into unconsciousness. And, and, sorry to cut you off, but what is the oldest trick in the book? Uh, uh, Wait, who's that behind you? (laughs) (laughs) But she apparently sells it quite well, doesn't she? Yeah, it was pretty funny. That that is pretty funny, especially when she shoves him to the side like a sack of potatoes. Uh, With Jellicoe unconscious, she tries to take control of the ship and figure out what is going on. 
She figures out that the paradox created clones of itself using its shunt drive as a practical extension of the Picard maneuver, which is pretty cool that they have such a reference. Uh, We'll talk more about that later. When she fails to take control of the ship, she tries to contact Lucius. Scene cuts back to the Excalibur, where Kebron is conducting the interrogation of Lucius by the way of family vacation photos, which is hilarious. Har, har, hardy, har, har, it is. Uh, scene cuts to the Spectre, well, where Calhoun is uh, going over the uh, ship's records with another crewman, viewing footage of the Paradox being modified by a larger unidentified ship. Though not confirmable, Calhoun concludes the Paradox is being fitted with weapons, which would indeed be a danger. When Soletta attempts to contact Lucius, she ends up speaking to Calhoun and had a hilarious exchange about how Kebron is torturing Lucius with family vacation pictures. Their exchange of information is cut short when Jellico, now fully recovered, attacks Soletta from behind and ends up stunning her square in the chest with a phaser. Jellico and Calhoun talk with, uh, with Jellico rationally telling Mac that if he knew what Jellico knew, Mac would support his actions. Jellico terminates the communication, leaving Mac and the crew to continue to figure out what the heck is going on. On the paradox, Soletta is imprisoned, imprisoned where she meets the real Admiral Jellico, who has been imprisoned by the other Jellico for weeks in the uh, in the brig. Meanwhile, back on Thalon, Swan's sister is speaking to apparently it's Swan's ghost. Uh, concerning Robin's pregnancy. Interestingly enough, only she can see the ghost. A scheming councilman in a fez hat overhears the apparently one-sided conversation and resolves to use the situation to his own advantage. Back on the paradox, a letter mind melt with the real Jellico to find out how our Jellico was imprisoned by his alternate reality version. Beard and all, yes. Alternate reality versions frequently have beards. Right, but at this point it doesn't say it's an alternate reality. It's just a guy that looks just like you. That happens to have a beard. Yeah. Who now, you figure, is the alternate reality version of him. I mean, look, he's got the beard and everything. He has a beard, that's true. Come on, Spock, come on. (laughs) Cartman, come on. All right, continue. Uh, Okay, so... uh, the real Jellico and Saletta talk about escape, but come to the common understanding that the only likely course of action must begin with Calhoun rescuing them. In another part of the paradox, Jellico is speaking to a mystery man over the radio about how they intend to rendezvous and return home with the paradox. Once there, they intend to destroy their many enemies. Jellico calls the person he is speaking to Mac. The final panel shows an intense man with long, dark hair and a three-day growth of beard that looks quite a bit like a bad boy version of Captain Makaenzi Calhoun. No beard this time. Yeah, but he has long hair. Long hair, which is a little bit more akin to his origins on the more mm, tribal warrior-like uh, planet of Calhoun. Is he from Calhoun, or he? I thought Calhoun was like his uh, his his country, clan his name clan. or whatever. Yeah. Okay, that's probably it. Because his name is Mackenzie of Mac-Enzi Calhoun. Mackenzie of Calhoun. Right. Exactly. So I thought it was the 
Yeah, you probably. I right. think the planet's name is something different. I can't remember. Ah, this is this, this is a research item. <laughs> this is a research item. So okay, on, on so that last page. So that's the end of uh, that's that's the new cliffhanger. Right, but that last page shows a alternate version of Calhoun, and then behind him is a uh, person that looks just like Robin and a person that looks just like Kalinda. Ah. So, what the heck is going on? Yes. But then yes. I love I love that's the last page and then on the opposite page is an advertisement for big yeah if you haven't figured out already <laughs> it's an advertisement for a comic book series called Star Trek Mirror Images and it has a picture of uh Spock from uh, like season 1 2 and 3 on the left side and then on the right side a picture of goatee Spock from the Mirror Universe yes evil Spock actually he turned out to be a pretty good guy but I loved – I'll be honest. I, when I first read this, I did not catch that he was the mirror Jellico. I still thought it was some sort of changeling or something until that last page, and there's Mackenzie. Exactly. And then on the other That's pages, true. mirror Spock and regular Spock. I was like, they, they, that was the most awesomest tra- – uh, uh, Hint? <laughs> no, just just that that's the uh, the advertisement. Like, in case you haven't figured it out, we're doing mirror universe books. Exactly. I liked it. I, I thought that was actually a really good surprise. That was – yeah, and I and one of the things I liked about the uh, the series up to this point is uh, I like the mystery, the mm. mystery of what the heck is going on here. What is this? Uh, some kind of a robot, Jellico, or uh, some kind of a clone, Jellico, or I some still kind have, of shapeshifter? I still hadn't given up shapeshifter, even though uh, what is it X Y in one of the earlier books dismissed that because they had the same DNA. But I think that uh, there was. Episodes of Deep Space Nine where the founders could uh, even shapeshift their DNA. Sh- well, no, they shapeshift their DNA, but then they would have <laughs> some other DNA in them to fool the scanners to think oh. that they were still that real oh. person. Yeah, right. uh, I think I might have just made that up. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, overall, I I enjoyed this issue. Yeah, it was quite good. Uh, another well uh, inked, well drawn. Yeah, we missed out on the uh, the credits, but uh, written by Peter David, art by Stephen Thompson, colors by Leonard O'Grady and John Hunt, lettered by Robbie Robbins, and edited by Andrew Stephen Harris. Yes, they have editors. Which yeah, is pretty good. Yeah, gotta have an editor. Yeah, we're gonna try to do that every issue. We uh, the first several episodes we didn't do that because Gold Key didn't have a. Uh, you know, a credits page, um, and then we just kind of never started doing it. But we'll make every effort to do it going forward. Indeed, and actually, just because overall, IDW seems to think of just about everything. Um, it's very well prof- professionally done, um, even right down to a little our story so far. Yeah, I do like that. The our story so far, uh, and I think that's mainly just because it's a mini series. Yep. Some of their other mini series, uh, like there was a uh, Next Generation called uh, I forgot what it was called. Anyways, uh, oh, Space Between. It was called the Space Between, and it was just like each issue was just like a random, uh, as if it was an episode from uh, the TV show, right. like scattered throughout the seven years. So none of those had these little what's happened before. But I think all their miniseries, they do that, which I think is a, a nice little nod Yep. to catch people up in case they missed out on the first couple issues. There you go. Although Spock Reflections didn't do that. No. 
and neither does the Nero one. So I guess, I guess it just uh, depends. You said that uh, about Jellico getting nerve pinched, and mm-hmm. but uh, you missed you. You didn't say that he's only faking. Well, I didn't know he was only faking. Yeah, if you he look, just recovered quickly. Well, right after he falls on the ground, he has his eyes open and he's kind of watching her doing all the stuff. Well, you don't know he, there he is. Yeah, on the uh, it's page number five, six. He's on the ground, and then on page number seven, he has his eyes open. But I thought he's he, he kind of brags later that he has nerve damage or something due to oh, interrogations is that how he did that? and that that nerve pinches. Uh, he's an, immune to nerve pinches or something like that. Oh. See, on page 12, he says, Nerve paralysis, courtesy of an extreme extended torture session I endured. I was down, but I was not out. So huh? I read that as that he go. was faking it. But maybe okay. maybe he wasn't. Maybe he wasn't. So, he wanted uh, to take the phaser. So he must, have wanted, he must have wanted information then or something because he let her. Yeah, he let her do quite a bit. Even uh, contact. He appeared uh, unconscious when the phaser was taken out of his hand, but, yeah. Yeah, and then he, I mean, he laid there while she talked to... McKenzie, so maybe he was just waiting for her to uh, turn her back, or just for her to maybe he so he would know who she's working with. I don't know. Yeah, good point. I don't know why he's laying there. Okay. Uh, so firing a phaser on a little ship like that is that smart? <laughs> I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so at so all. So I wonder if if the uh, the the phasers uh, have star or spaceship mode. Yeah, it, it's enough. To, so it's enough to zap you, but it won't go through the the bridge or through the the hole. Well, I assume the thing is on stun because yeah. he wanted. It seemed like Jellico wanted to uh, definitely bring Soleta back uh, for a reason to Mecca Enzi. Yeah, he, he does say he will be so happy. Yes, but Indeed. he never says who he is until that last page. Right. So you like the family photos? Uh, I thought I thought the family photos was funny. Yeah. I, th- I think they really, uh, again, uh, leverage the huge character of Cabron quite well with the uh, humor. Right. Cabron, who in the books, when you're reading him, he's described as being the thing from right. the Fantastic Four. Right. right. Which I love here when he has his palm on top of uh, uh, Lucius's head and it's three-fingered just like thing. Oh, no, is thing three-fingered? Or? I don't think he has three. He has four fingers. That's right. Never mind. But I do like in the family photos, the, the, the person in the for, uh, foreground looks exactly the same in the exact same pose and everything, and then in the background is different, and <laughs> he's like saying, like, the first one's his mom, and it looks just like him, and he's like in a little little uh, green shirt, and then the second one, he doesn't say who it is, but... It's still the same it, shirt. It's the exact same shirt, the exact same pose and everything. He's kind of waving, or, um, excuse me, she's kind of waving, yes. but now she's in front of a volcano. Yep. So page nine has uh, Jellico talking uh, on on board the what's the name of the ship Spectre, Spectre. Yeah. Well, and that crew, yeah, right, right. that crewman, yeah, that's it's XY who is. Uh, Wait a minute, hold on. I thought, I thought that's XY. Uh, the guy, not on, a Vulcan. The guy on page ten that is uh, Boyne, Burgoyne, B U R G O Y N E, Burgoyne. And Burgoyne is a hermit who's half male and half female. So in the books, what? they're always calling him he, uh, his she or something like that. Yeah. And uh, they do it a little bit in here. Um, but he's he, she is somehow both male and female. Right. And, and the father, apparently, of the Vulcan. Well, his, the mother is Salida. 
Or no, no, excuse me, Salar. Dr. Salar from uh, Next Generation. Oh. Yeah, she's in the novels, but she's not in these comics for some reason. So I don't know if she, at this time, may be dead or something. But she, okay. uh, uh, in the first four books, which I read a while back, she uh, Burgoyne was really trying to uh, get with her. And he, he she was... Uh, he knew that she was going through Ponfar, and she just lost her uh, her husband, and he was uh, offering to assist. <laughs> and in those books, she definitely turned him down, but it was always kind of hinted that she had some sort of interest. So I guess from the, those four books to now... That uh, interest was they, consummated. They consummated, and because he's a hermit and she's a uh, Vulcan... Their offspring is growing at like a, a, an incredible rate. So their their offspring is already an adult after just a few years, and uh, and named X Y X Y, which is funny because it's X Y chromosome. That's that's what I thought the reference was. But I think that is I think that X Y's name, and I don't know if X Y is man or woman, because um, it looks kind of ambiguous in the pictures. I think XY may actually be a short for some other name. Uh, I don't know. But it just, they go, he goes by XY. Ah. And it's just kind of comical, I guess, that it also could be XY chromosome. I don't know. Which you'd think would be more like chromosome references would be more like for Burgoyne since it's a he she. Like. Right. But maybe maybe the, the, the kid is a he she too. I don't know. I don't know. I need to follow up on that, I guess. Yeah, a general comment I want to make, especially since we're up to maybe page 10. Yep. Is I find it interesting how the Excalibur crew is more uh, irreverent <laughs> uh, than any other crew. Yeah, they, they talk back a little bit. Federation more. crew. Yeah, like uh, Tanya. The when, when she, uh I guess she's, she's in the Hellsman position. Okay. Uh, where basically... Uh, <laughs> Calhoun is basically saying, tell her to work faster, Burgoyne. And then, uh, you know, th- there's basically uh, scribbles in the, in, 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 the, uh, in the speaking bubble. And what's, what's the crap, proper technical word for that? Uh, dialogue bu- bubble? Dialogue bubble? I don't know. I figured you'd know that. Um, I mean, it's, it basically is, is, is giving the impression she's telling him to, you know, F off or something. Yeah. And then he says, what was that? Nothing, Captain. Nothing, Captain. <laughs> I like to think she was just saying grumble, grumble, grumble. Like, yes. Like in that uh, that manga issue where the Klingons were all grumble, grumble, grumble. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So uh, I don't have anything until we get to, like, page 18. So if you have anything in between. Mm, no. No, not. No. So on page 18, she's talking to somebody through the wall. You don't know for sure that it's Jellico. And so she mind melds through the wall of the brig to merge with him. So can you mer- Can you do a mind meld through a wall? You know, it's Star Trek. They'll make up anything. I mean, I know that Spock can mind meld with a computer. And yeah. he can mind meld with a rock. But uh, <laughs> I never saw him a do A silicon-based life form. That's what I said, a rock. There's a big difference between a hoarder and a rock. A horde, that's what it's Horta. Like. That's right. <laughs> and she had all the little baby Hortas, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was a good one. I, I do like that episode. I do too. And he's like screaming, pain! <laughs> <laughs> In an almost Shatner-like moment. <laughs> exactly. Anyways, I thought it was odd that she could mind melt through a wall. 
And she's half Romulan, so maybe I was surprised that she could do it at all if she's half Romulan. Yeah. Because I don't remember them ever having those abilities. Having those abilities. Well, humans don't have the abilities, and yet they're Spock. Perhaps the uh, mind-melding ability is a dominant gene. There you go. I never thought a about Vulcan that. A Vulcan dominant gene. I never thought about that. So, yeah, I, I wrote on here on that last page, page 22. I was like, is this really Mirror Calhoun? He doesn't have a goatee. How can he be Mirror then? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, but, right. And then, you, and then very soon after that, you said, well, Mirror Kirk didn't have a beard. So. Oh, that's true. He was pretty nasty. All right, that's it for that book. Excellent. Any, anything else? A good issue. Uh, um, it was a good no, issue. No, 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 no. No, 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 not really. Okay. All right, so we're getting towards the climax. That was the halfway point, and now it's a nonstop till the end. Nonstop action thrills from there. All right, so now we have uh, Star Trek New Frontier, issue number four, which came out in June of 2008. Yes, June. June 2008. All right, so it was written by Peter David, art by Stephen Thompson, colors by Leonard O'Grady, letters by Robbie Robinson, or excuse me, Robbie Robbins, and edited by Scott uh, Dunbar. So it starts off with the paradox shunting through space when it suddenly comes to a complete stop. In the brig, Solita is uh, contacted by Morgan, who has projected her engrams into the Paradox's computers. Uh, Morgan is able to release both Solita and Jellico from their prison. Mirror Jellico is on the bridge, and he's trying to discover uh, the cause for the computer uh, issues when Morgan appears on the view screen. She inquires on who he is and keeps him distracted as Solita and the real Jellico arrive on the bridge. Jellico, uh, the real Jellico, just sucker, pu- sucker punches the mirror Jellico square in the face. <laughs> it's an awesome picture. Uh, the uh, mirror Jellico is on the ground, and the real Jellico is basically taunting him to get back up so he can do it again, and then uh, just kicks him square in the face again, and uh, he's completely knocked out this time, and not faking it. Uh, Morgan uh, attempts to bring the ship back online, but is unable to do so. Uh, the Paradox is then captured in a tractor beam from another ship. Uh, they are hailed by the other ship, and uh, the mirror Captain Calhoun's face appears on the screen. Uh, this this Calhoun mistakes Jellico for his version of Jellico, and is quite happy to see that he is he was able to capture the Solita from this reality. So then we jump back to the Excalibur, and uh, the crew uh, are are plotting the course of the paradox, and uh, track it back to uh, Bravo Station which, as we've seen in the previous issues, is where Admiral Shelby, Calhoun's wife, is stationed. All right, so Calhoun orders a full stop and to release the Romulan warbird that they've been towing, the, uh, the Spectre. Uh, Calhoun uh, goes to the conference room where uh, uh, Kibron is doing his uh, interrogations. Uh, Calhoun informs the Romulan that the uh, viruses have been cleaned up off the Spectre and that uh, it's been uh, completely restored. He offers to release Lucius in exchange for his assistance in rescuing Solita and saving Bravo Station, which, of course, Lucius agrees to. All right, so now we see Morgan in, like, a computer landscape. So I guess this is her point of view while her engrams are in the, the Paradox's computer. Uh, here she's confronted with uh, McHenry, 
the the ghost version of McHenry, and uh, she states that this is not her McHenry, but the Mirror Universe McHenry. Uh, McHenry then attacks her, and and she basically is uh, attacked in every every instance or every body that she's in at that time. So we see a shot where she's being uh, attacked on here with McHenry uh, on the bridge of the Excalibur, uh, on New Thalon with Robin, and on the view screen of the Paradox. So it's kind of a cool shot with uh, her kind of fuzzing out of existence in all five places. All right, so back on New Thalon, uh, Robin is calling for her uh, mother, who, like I said, just vanished, and uh, a few of the uh, discontented uh, citizens uh, come in, and they have uh, Kalinda uh, captured. They inform her that uh, she needs to give up the baby so that it can be raised properly. They always refer to the baby as he, so I don't know if just all babies are he or they already know. Anyways, uh, she promptly informs them to go to hell, uh, he threatens to kill Kalinda, and when Robin still doesn't back down, and basically Kalinda says she's ready to die, uh, he just gives up and uh, everybody leaves, uh, the two women alone. <laughs> All right, so back uh, back on the, the paradox, the mirror Calhoun arrives uh, with uh, several people in tow, which is the mirror uh, Robin, the mirror Kalinda, and the mirror Cat. Uh, uh, I can't remember what her full name is. Uh, so basically, they're all they're all on the board the bridge right now, and uh, he's informed that McHenry informed uh, him of the uh, the Jellico switch, and uh, but he's just all struck about Salida being there, and he starts to try to kiss her, and she just bites his um, bites his lip, and he rears back, and blood's just flying everywhere. Uh, Calhoun then tells Jellico that uh, that his mirror. Or his version of Salida used to do the same thing as a version of foreplay. Mirror Cat then informs Calhoun that uh, they're on the correct heading to the rift, and uh, that she informs him that there's a space station in the way. Calhoun smugly says that will not be an issue. Uh, on board Bravo Station, uh, Shelby is on her way, way to the bridge when she passes a red-clad woman in a long, flowing red coat, cloak, which we'll talk about in a little bit. All right, so Shelby arrives on the bridge, and she's informed that there is something heading their way. Uh, the readings are off the chart. Sometimes it shows two ships, uh, other times ten. Uh, Shelby in con- uh, contacts uh, Kate Molner, uh, the real Kate Molner, aboard the Triton uh, to inform her of the situation. Uh, on the on the bridge of the Triton, uh, Merez, who's the uh, cat-like person from the old animated show, speculates that there really is only two ships, one being the Paradox and the other one uh, of unknown design, but because they're both moving uh, in traditional warp, that that's what's causing the interference. Uh, Oryx is there, who was also from the animated series, and he exclaims that uh, they have a visual on the ships uh, and that they're being hailed. Uh, then the Mirror Calhoun... Um, explains that the strange ship is his version of the Excalibur and that he wants them to stand down and he will let them live. Uh, just then, Salida calls out to uh, Molnar, informs her that she and Jellico are captives, and then the guard knocks her out. Molnar orders a red alert. Mira Calhoun opens fire on the Trident. The Trident opens, returns fire, and as the crossfire ensues, Salida headbutts the guard and attacks Calhoun. And as they're fighting, the mirror Robin informs them that they're being hailed by another ship, and then the real Calhoun appears on the screen to be concluded. 
So uh, a lot happened in that issue. Out of all the issues, I thought this one probably had the most most stuff going on. It definitely moved the storyline forward. What did you think about the Jellico versus Jellico fight? On page four. I thought it was bloody. <laughs> it was good. I thought so it was Jell- Je- Our Jellico was pissed, and he kicked him good. Blood yeah, was I mean, flying. He kicked him in the fa- At first, he sucker punched him. Yeah. And then, while the guy was down, he kicks him in the face. Yep. He ain't screwing around. The guy's got nerve damage. Time, time to take him down. Exactly. But, uh, but seeing him kick, kick, kick him while he was trying to get up reminded me of, uh, and this is a little off subject, but on, uh, in the movie Evil Dead 2. I don't know if you've seen it. but Yes. About 15 jillion times. It's great. It is a great movie. But anyways, there's a scene where when, uh, Ash is attacked by... Uh, uh, Jake, who's kind of the the hillbilly guy that's mm-hmm. that's helping uh, the daughter get to the cabin, uh, he gets attacked by him, and then while Ash is knocked out basically on the ground, Jake stands up and just kicks him square in the face. <laughs> <laughs> which which I think is always funny because uh, that scene had to be cut out of the UK release of Evil Dead Two because there was some censor thing that said you can't kick a man while he's down or something. Like that. How odd. But out of all the things in Evil Dead 2, all the blood and everything, that was the part they had to kind of shorten out a little bit. They couldn't show him actually kicking him in the face. It's just not cricket. But they sure kicked uh, Jellico in the face. There you go. So uh, off offline, you mentioned, uh, you gave me some information about Jellico that I had kind of forgotten. Uh, I had actually forgotten that he was in an episode of The Next Generation. Oh, yeah. yeah he, was, uh, he was a jerk uh, in an episode with Picard. And he actually took over, took over the Enterprise for a while. But but what ha- was Picard there? I, I, I remember that episode. It was Chain of Command Part One and Part yeah, Two. Yeah, Chain of Command. That's yeah. the name. But I can't remember why Jellicoe took over and where Picard was during that time. I thought that I think that was the one where uh, Picard was going undercover or something, and he was captured. Is that the one where he's captured by the the? The Cardassian, and he's—I believe—and so. he's having to uh, find the, or he keeps seeing those three lights, and the Cardassian wants him to say there's four. Oh, you is remember more it? details than I do, but I think that's the one. That is the one. I think so. I always like that chain ep- of command. I always like that episode uh, because it ends with Picard. He gets captured right at the end, and then he's like, he tells Deanna that at the end he he really did see four lights. Meaning that uh, his wheel was actually broken. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know if that's the right episode or not because I don't remember Jellico being in that one. But I do remember the episode where Jellico takes over, very vaguely. But I can't remember why. Yeah. Anyways, and, and again, he reprises his role as the jerk. Right. I remember the books Jellico's in, and especially the New Frontier books, because Jellico was when before more uh, Calhoun became captain of the. Uh, Excalibur, hmm. he was kind of doing some special op stuff for Jellico, kind of on the side. So everybody in Starfleet thought Jericho, uh, uh, Calhoun was this rogue agent doing all this crazy stuff, when in reality he was kind of working with Jellico. Jellico. And hmm. see, that that's where I always... So when I was reading these books, I always thought, oh, that's Jellico from the books. I never put two and two together that, oh, that's Jellico from the Next episode of Next Generation. Yeah. That's funny. And you said that uh, he was played by... Uh, Ronnie Cox. Ronnie Cox, who a very uh, a, a great supporting actor who's been in many uh, science fiction and non-science fiction. 
movies and TV shows over the years. One of my all-time favorite movies, RoboCop. RoboCop. He played Dick Jones. Dick Jones. Second banana of OCP. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, let's keep going on this. So uh, on page 10, uh, that picture of McHenry when he's talking to uh, Morgan uh, there in the computer landscape. Mm -hmm. Doesn't he look like, uh, or maybe he just gives me the vibe of Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen. A skinnier version. Yeah. Maybe it's just the the bald head and the little pixelated look uh, as if he's made out of electricity or something. Right. Maybe I'm stretching there, but when I was reading that, I kept saying, oh, he looks just like Dr. Manhattan. Okay. Yeah, um... I thought, so on page 8, where uh, Calhoun talks uh, Lucius into helping him uh, get back Saletta, I, there, it was a great tactical position to have the stealth ship hanging out there and as an extra pawn to be played if it needed to. But I was really surprised. Uh, they didn't, in the end, which I'm not going to ruin the ending, but in the end they did not use him as, uh, as much as I thought they were going to. Hmm. But good move... By by Calhoun to position the stealth ship as a uh, as a backup player, right? Yep. And so what, there on page, uh, uh, I'm jumping up a little bit further. But what's the deal with the mirror Robin and the mirror Kalinda? I don't know. Because but I'll the tell mirror you. Kalinda always has her head on uh, Robin's shoulder, and every shot every shot that they're Everyone. in, they're, she has her head on her on for her multiple issues. Yeah. So. so if they want to get across the point that they're an item. They've definitely done it in the mirror universe. Yeah. So, but are they an item? And then Calhoun's also that he's also with them because I think in the books he's had a relationship with like every single one of these people in the real the real Calhoun has. So I'm wondering is the mirror Calhoun implying that he's also has all these women and he also had uh, Mira Saleta as his main? I don't main know. Wife? He's a busy man though. He Apparently is. in both universes. Right. But in the real universe, he only had them one at a time. Where when I was reading this, I was like, is it a harem? What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> and just so that we make a note, this this little bug-looking ship, the uh, what he calls the, his Excalibur, yeah. it looks... When I read this the first time, I thought it was that big, uh, bulky uh, ship in that last issue that was uh, injecting the Paradox with all the weapons stuff. and stuff. Right. And then you pointed out that it's not the same ship. Well, at least it doesn't look like the same ship. It's it can't be the same ship because yeah. this is really small. This is about it, the same size as the Paradox, if not yeah, maybe And the even other smaller. thing is, I would like to know what that other ship is because, as you find out later, I don't want to ruin things, but he came through from the other side apparently with one ship. Right. So where the heck do they get that 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 refit ship? I don't know. We'll we'll talk about it when we get there, but. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, and I, I have a theory, but uh, it, it is not really explained very well. It's not explained well. Another thing that's not explained well is where do you get the ship? That's a very different looking ship. I don't remember him ever explaining that. I mean, that does not look Federation at all. It looks like an alien ship. Well, in the Mirror Universe, there is no Federation, which we'll talk okay, about in but, the next issue. But as we'll see, uh, the Alliance has, has, has amazingly... Close uh, engineering uh, designs. Well, let's talk about that next next issue. Okay. But I'd still like to know what that bug ship came yeah, from. Yeah, I don't know. All right, so page 17. Uh, did you catch that when uh, when 
when Shelby was walking towards the bridge that there's this shape, this woman shape walking next to her. Oh. Uh, hmm. In a red cloak. No, I didn't notice that. Uh, that that woman, and this is this is going to be my tangent for okay for the day. But that that woman is a, a character that Peter David uh, created, a superhero character, a, a full fledged superhero called uh, Fallen Angel, hmm. and uh, basically, and, and also if you look at uh, Star Trek New Frontier number one uh, on the cover page, on the back cover, it has a picture of all the other covers, mm-hmm. and one of the covers is a limited edition cover that has. Peter David in the uh, in the uh, captain's uniform of like the oh, card yeah. time, yeah. and uh, at the two stations uh, in front of the view screen is Kirk and Picard. Oh. And so he's kind of in the captain's seat, <coughs> and Picard are at the stations, right? Right. And behind him at, at the tactical is this woman, this uh, huh. fallen angel woman. So basically, uh, what her and, and why she's in Star Trek, no idea. But just kind of two seconds on her, she. He created her for a DC comic series called Fallen Angel because he was writing the Supergirl story, mm-hmm. and it got canceled uh, due to low sales. But I think that the main reason they canceled it is because DC Comics wanted to bring back a, a real Supergirl because this Supergirl was like some uh, protoplasm matrix from an alternate universe that came over that could turn herself into a Supergirl look. Oh. She was actually designed by that universe's Lex Luthor. Oh. Anyways, long story short, uh, but then at some point when, when Peter David started writing the series, he had her merging this, this Matrix Supergirl merge with a fallen angel, a, a real angel. So then it became, she became this like angel slash Supergirl type thing. And she actually had like different powers where the, these big fiery ring, wings would sometimes come up behind her when she's flying and things like that. And, and you know, completely different powers than Superman ever had. Hmm. But I think that they canceled that story because eventually they would bring back the true Kryptonian Supergirl into DC Comics. So I think they said, well, you have all these great stories. Create a new character that's exactly the same and and go with it. So they were they he had a series for a while, and then DC Comics eventually canceled that too. And about the time that these books were coming out for IDW, hmm. IDW got the rights to, to Fallen Angel. So. Uh-huh. They so this is kind of like a intriguing preview. Yeah, kind of a nod that hey, Peter David's writing this, and yeah. if you like this red girl, you might want to watch Fallen Angel. And with that <laughs> bright crimson cape she's got on, it's hard to miss her in the shot where Shelby is running past her. It, it's really weird. I was like, I was like, why are they even doing that? I mean, it, it's two different genres. You have yeah. the superhero genre, and then you have Star Trek genre. Yeah. Don't need to mix them. That being said, we'll read X-Men's Star Trek sometime soon. <laughs> okay. All Which right, that's a uh, great example of mixing. That's uh, the, the, the only other thing I have on this whole issue is, and it's really nitpicky, so I apologize about this, but on page 17, same page, uh, they refer to the bridge of the space station. So it says, Admiral Shelby to the bridge on the very top panel. Mm-hmm. But... It shouldn't be bridge. It should be. Uh, what they call it? Should it should be ops or operations, oh, ops, like they did on D Space Nine. Well, all space stations are. It's always called operations, and then in Deep Space Nine they they abbreviated ops, but they never call it a bridge. Well, apparently Peter David disagrees. Obviously. All right, as my last nitpick. Good catch. Good catch. Oh oh oh! One more. Sorry. When they start fighting, page twenty-one. Mm-hmm. 
can you explain what, what, what's going on? So the Excalibur is heading towards the Trident and is, is firing phasers at it. Mm-hmm. And the evil Excalibur. Yeah. So the evil Excalibur is like right in front of the Trident firing its phasers. Mm-hmm. And then the very next panel shows the Triton shooting back photon torpedoes out, out of the back the, out of the aft exactly i don't know so uh, the only thing i think of is aft maybe torpedoes fire i don't know maybe the ship just zoomed right past it you know that he didn't slow down oh. he just hmm. somehow went around the Triton and and so she started shooting out the aft uh, i don't know i was a little confused as to good question. what exactly was going on there that didn't really seem to make a lot of sense nope Anything else on that issue? Not really. All right. On to the thrill-packed ending. Okay, so uh, issue number five, the thrill-packed ending of Turnaround. So, again, the creative team is pretty much the same as the other issues with some – there might be some small changes, but Peter David Ryder, Stephen Thompson art, Leonard O'Grady color. Is is O'Grady different? No, he's the same guy. Okay. Robbie Robbins, lettering, Scott – Dunbuyer is the editor. Okay. Yeah, and the weird the weird thing about this issue is that the uh, the title page, mm-hmm. which is also the our story so far, yeah. is the very last page of the book. So you've read you read the whole issue, and then you get to the oh what happened before this issue, which I thought the placing of that uh, that makes no that, sense that, that made no sense. However, maybe they just want to keep you guessing. Calhoun is on the bridge of the Excalibur, staring at the massive face of his alternate universe self. He makes a joke that tells this big bad that he has a pretty good idea who he is and where he's from. The eyes of both Calhouns roll up into their heads, and they drop to the ground unconscious. They wake to find themselves in the outer hull of the Bravo space station. They talk to each other, trying to figure out what happened. The only explanation is intervention by McHenry. Suddenly, a rift in space opens up next to Bravo Station. Evil Dimension Calhoun explains that it's the gateway to their alternate dimension, and he intends to take Paradox and his ship through it. Meanwhile, Jellicoe is trying to find out why Evil Dimension Calhoun's ship is not moving towards the rift. He is told McHenry has disabled both ships. Jellicoe decides to go through the rift without them. Aboard the Trident, Captain Mueller and crew observe the Paradox's move towards the spatial rift and the fact that its heading will take it right through Bravo Station. Meanwhile, our Calhoun states that the Trident will not let the Paradox pass. The Evil Universe Mac states our Mac is annoying and uh, lets it slip that Soleta in the Evil Universe is dead, killed at the hands of the Alliance. Evil Calhoun retells the story about the Alliance ambush where Soleta bought the farm. The Alliance had a very impressive collection of ships, including several Sovereign-class starships, a Voyager class, and many other classes of starships that looked just like our uh, Federation ships. Evil Mac was clearly outgunned. The spatial rift happened to open up, and they went through to escape guaranteed destruction into our universe. Our Mac pulls, puts, together, puts it together and states that they are taking the Paradox to fight the Alliance. Meanwhile, the Trident, the Trident fires warning shots at the Paradox. The Paradox multiplies itself and attacks the Trident. Meanwhile, our Calhoun attacks the evil Mac when he won't call off the Paradox attack. 
evil Calhoun explains how good Mac was his inspiration <laughs> the moment McHenry showed him how good Mac became a starship captain in the benevolent Federation. The two Calhouns take fight take to fighting again as evil Calhoun displays absolutely no sense of humor. That is a fundamental difference between the two. <laughs> the Trident is getting hammered by the Paradox duplicates when Admiral Shelby decides to launch a photon torpedo attack from Bravo Station. Jellico is not happy with the new attack and replicates the Paradox into dozens of ships that attack Bravo Station. While Bravo Station burns, our Calhoun gets the evil Calhoun in a headlock and actually talks him into calling off the attack while making a reference to the events in Double Time, a previous uh, issue. When our Mac attempts to shape the universe to his liking with disastrous long-term results. As reviewed in last issue. Episode. Exactly, exactly. And a fine, a, a good story it was. Mm-hmm. Just as Evil Jellico launches two photon torpedo death blow, death blow to the station, Evil Mac destroys them using phasers from his insect, insect-like Excalibur ship. Jellico refuses to back down to the combined firepower. Jellico refuses to back down, so the combined firepower of the insect ship and two galaxy-class starships destroy the paradox. Before the explosion, McHenry transports both Jellicoes and Saletta off the doomed ship and onto Evil Calhoun's insect-like Excalibur. Seconds after Jellico and Saletta arrive, they are transported away again, this time to the Spectre, where Lucius explains he was just waiting for, for their shields to drop to get them away to safety. Evil Calhoun escapes through the rift, and our Mac lets him go. In the alternate universe... Evil Mac and McHenry discuss how McHenry would not stop Evil Mac, but did everything he could to bring the two Macs together in hopes Evil Mac would come to his senses and stop his mad fight against the Alliance. The story closes with Evil Mac talking about how he's never loved anyone, but feels some consolation that at least for one Macaenzi of Calhoun, love flourishes. What sappy, sentimental drivel. And that is the end of the story. That is the end. So, you kind of skipped over the part where Mackenzie and... It's a uh, summary. And, it's, and, it's a synopsis. I know, but right here at the end, I, yeah. I just want to... Before we go back to the beginning, McHenry says that he loves Calhoun. Yeah, I know. Is that brotherly love or romantic love? I I, I don't know that much about McHenry, so I don't know what his leanings were. Yeah, but it, um, it did kind of I don't imply know. more romantic love because Calhoun says that he couldn't reciprocate. But I wasn't sure. Well, look at him. He's a he's a he's a, an otherworldly advanced being. That's true. He's how do you reciprocate with that? Grandson of Apollo, the Greek <laughs> god. Oh, that background again. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like I guess uh, so, yeah. there's just some magnetism about uh, Captain Calhoun. Every crew member, male, female, or in between. Just like Kirk. Everybody loved Kirk. No, no, they didn't. Yes, they did. There's none of that kind of Cap- stuff going on. Captain Jack from uh, Torchwood. Or, uh, 
Doctor Who. And Torchwood. Yeah. But uh, everybody loved Captain Jack regardless to... Uh, That's true. Whether okay. you were male, female, or, or or even if you were homosexual or not. <laughs> you loved Captain Jack? <coughs> I guess so. The guy had magnetism. Apparently Mac does too. Yep, obviously. All right, so first question that blares out to me, and I think you were alluding to it. What mirror universe is this? Is this the mirror universe that was in the great Mirror Mirror episode of the original series and then also brought back in Deep Space Nine, or is this supposed to be another mirror universe? Well, since theoretically there are an infinite number of mirror universes or alternate universes, uh, as we have seen through many different uh, Star Trek Next Gen episodes, especially the episode where the Enterprise was... All the enterprises from different dimensions were coming into the same uh, right. same place. Which I ass- was that the origin of the Picard maneuver? That's a good point. I was I thought the Picard maneuver was that time when uh, the Enterprise was in that um, when it was in that asteroid belt, and, yeah. and Picard tells Wesley to get out of the chair. I'll do it, and he somehow oh. was able to. Like slingshot around that asteroid. Uh, I thought. They but what said does that, that have to? Now that's a good maneuver, but but yeah, I, I was confused. I was like, w- w- what is the McCard maneuver? I don't know either. But the only time I remember uh, ships being replicated like that was from other dimensions, not because of time shifting. Anyway. And did they do something all together? I don't remember. Um, no, they just kind of. Oh, I thought they just sat there. Anyway, so uh, but I digress. So, so, anyways, but yeah, that was that was the question I had, especially after it was over. Was is this the mirror universe? I don't know, or a mirror universe? Because the, the, there are infinite ones. So who knows? Did did, did the uh, mirror universe of the original Mirror Mirror have an alliance? Yeah, the alliance. Uh, no, but in Deep Space Nine, when they revisited that that yeah. mirror universe, uh, the mirror uh, Kira Norris tells the real Kira Norris that. Uh, Kirk, when Kirk came over and he tried to get uh, Spock to um, overthrow the evil Federation, which I think was mm-hmm. called the Empire, the Terran Empire, that, uh, that basically what, what Spock ends up doing is weakening the humans, uh, weakening their empire enough so that uh, the Alliance, which was the Could Cardassians, uh, Klingons, um, and Bajor was able to take over uh, Earth, and at that point, humans were just slaves. So uh, remember, all the humans had to walk around with this little uh, Earth-looking uh, Star of David type uh, 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 thing on their shirts uh, to, to show that they were Terran and that uh, they were. But there was no Federation, so there was no Federation-class starship. So even later on in the Deep Space Nine episodes, uh, they 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 steal some of the schematics from our Deep Space Nine sure. and bring it over, and they they try to build a defiant right, right. to fight the the alliance. Right. So yeah, when when this Mackenzie Al, uh, Calhoun is telling him about this great battle, and there's all these like sovereign class ships, intrepid class ships, and all this other stuff, I was like, okay, maybe this is not it, the mirror universe. Because, it probably isn't. It but doesn't sound like it jives with any of the uh, other uh, mirror universes. But he's shows. talking about the Alliance. So the Alliance was the Cardassian, Cardassian uh, Klingon thing. But maybe, maybe it isn't the exact same one because they're using uh, Federation ships. Yeah. I mean, I don't see any non-Federation ship nope. in that attack group that's nope. attacking uh, 
evil Mackenzie's uh, Excalibur. Nope, they're all they're all. Uh, it looks like a scene from uh, Deep Space Nine during the Dominion War. Remember? Exactly. Right, they right, had all right. those great battle scenes where it just showed galaxy Tons ships just blowing up and stuff. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, so after I read this, I was kind of in a mirror universe kick. Ah. Uh-huh. So uh, and I was traveling, so I didn't have wasn't didn't have access to my Star Trek collection. So <gasps> I I went to the store and I bought uh, Star Trek alternate realities uh, uh, set. So it, it was, had a picture of the two Spocks on the cover. So and it's you know it implied that it had every Mirror Universe episode plus other alternate reality mm-hmm. episodes, including that one that you were talking about earlier with Worf and the. All the different parallel uh, universes, but anyway, so I'm watching it, watching all the Mirror Universe episodes, and then it was, it, you know, it had the the Mirror Universe episodes from the original series, four from Deep Space Nine, and the two from Enterprise. And I'm like, I remember other Mirror Universe episodes because I remember one where uh, the hologram from Deep Space Nine, there was a mirror version of that, and he was human. And so I remember uh, uh, Nog saying, "Boy, this place really is a Mirror Universe, or this." Mm-hmm. But that episode was not on the set. So then when I got home, I found out that there was two Deep Space Nine episodes that had the Mirror Universe in it that, that wasn't on that set. And I'm like, come on. Well, maybe they cheaped out. But but you already spent $80 a season for these. <laughs> I mean, which is twice as much as any other television series on DVD. And then you come out with this gift set for the people who can't go out and buy every every season of Deep Space Nine. And, you know, you advertise it as the Mirror Universe set. And then you don't even have them all in there. I was <laughs> I was a little Well, they probably out. wanted to uh, they want to hit a price point. Well, they had other I mean, then they had some episodes from all the other series, they had the episode of the original series where Kirk switches bodies with uh, that woman. Well, I don't know how that was that, an alternate. That's reality. not alternate. I know. Well, I was, it's not. I was a little confused too. Mm-hmm. It was also it was called Alternate Lives. So that one was one. It had the uh, one where Picard lives out that flute player oh, player's yeah. life, that's things weird. like that, and some Voyager episode, episodes. Oh, there were there were a lot of great episodes, but I was not just alternate. Like, you need to have the alternate reality one in there. All right. When the uh, two Calhouns on page two are outside Bravo Station, reminded me of that episode, uh, True Q of the Deep Space Nine, or excuse me, Next Generation, where Q and that girl Q was just on the hole of the Enterprise walking mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. I thought that, that shot looks a lot like that, that, that scene from that episode. Yeah, my notes, I just talk about, is this the mirror universe, the mirror universe, which we've already talked about. Yeah. Good point. I really hadn't thought about that. It was an interesting reference on uh, on page uh, six where you do see XY talking to uh, Ber- Ber- Bergoni, referring to him as father. I always Burgoyne. thought it was pronounced Burgoyne. Great, Burgoyne. Yeah. But uh, interesting there how they, they made the reference to the father. Right, and this Burgoyne looks more masculine than Burgoyne was drawn in uh, the Wild Storm comic, yeah. Double Time. Uh, or at least I think he does. Or she does. Oh, yeah, okay. On page 11... Yeah? Yeah, so the bad Excalibur was a Bromulan ship. <clears throat> yeah, so at the top, top right of page 11, eventually I acquired my ship by killing the previous crew. I was hate incarnate. Oh, before that, before that he says, despised by my father, a slave of the Romulans. 
It's a Romulan ship. So it's a Romulan ship. Which is an interesting design. It doesn't look like a Romulan ship. No, it doesn't. So I wonder if he was a... Uh, I wonder if it's a Riemann ship, maybe. <laughs> you like to drag it in all... all drag it all in, don't you? Well, Riemanns are also slaves of the Romulans. And, all right. And you remember Shizan's ship from Nemesis? It kind of it kind of looked like that a little bit, except it was just a hell of a lot bigger. But maybe maybe that's what they're implying. Well, that'd be interesting. I should double check. I don't remember all the details of the uh, Riemann ship, super ship. Yeah, what was the name of that ship? Uh, I forgot. It starts with S. So the only thing I have left of this issue, because there's really not. I mean, I think we've pretty much talked about everything that I wanted to talk about was. Mm-hmm. I thought they kind of wrapped up the uh, the storyline of Robin and on New Thalon. I mean, it was in issue four, and then it's not even mentioned at all in this this issue. Yeah, they just so let it's just kind of. And does it ever explain what happened to Robin? I mean, uh, Morgan. No, I think both of those story elements are going to be picked up in a later episode in the novels or whatever. Hmm. Well, I mean, do you know that they're never going to? Well, I don't know if they're never going to, but this came out two years ago, and they haven't they since. haven't come out with anything yet. Yeah. I mean, there's, be, there's always a chance, but it's probably going to be in a, a next uh, novel. They've come out with they've come out with some books since this was issued. They've come out of a book called Treason after this comic was was released, so it may pick up some of the storylines. I would hope so. Same writer, yeah. So again, New Frontier kind of took a different aspect of. Star Trek and everything is in continuity, so everything has ramifications in every other story. Cool. Which I like. Me too. All right. So uh, the next part we're going to do is elsewhere in Star Trek. Um, this was May, June, and July of 2008. Not a lot to talk about. Uh, there was the comic book series called Intelligence Gathering, which was the Next Generation, was going on at this time. Um, there was also a comic book series based on the original series called Year 4, the uh, Enterprise Experiment. And they kicked off a Star Trek series called Assignment Earth, ah. which was the continuation of the Gary 7 episode of the original series. Very good. All right, so those were going on uh, these three months. Uh, also, the manga anthology Yuchu, Yuchu uh, was released in July, which... Hmm which we already read the, the first two stories of that. There was also the original series Mirror Images, which we saw the advertisement for. And then there was some Deep Space Nine novels. There was one called Tarek Noor, Night of the Wolves, Tarek Noor, Dawn of the Eagles, and Deep Space Nine, The Haunted Seas, which was a uh, reprint of two other uh, books, one called Twilight and one called uh, The Grey Spirit. So these are all based after Season 7 of Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. So they all continue into each other, which has that great continuity that I like so much. Uh, most of the Deep Space Nine continuation is written by a woman named S.T. Perry. Mm-hmm. So you'll see that her name is on not quite all of the uh, Deep Space Nine post-Season post, uh, 7 books, but a good majority of them. Which uh, she's, a, she's a good writer, too. She wrote a lot of the um, Aliens and... Resident Evil type books, so I've read a lot of her stuff. Good deal. All right, that's it. So uh, we uh, are going to go to the Marvel Universe next episode, right? Yes, indeed. And go back in time to with the adventures of Captain Pike. 
and the crew of the Enterprise before Kirk time. So, and the series is called Star Trek Early Voyages, which uh, looks really gritty. I have yet to read them personally, but uh, looking over it briefly, it looks really, really gritty. Yeah, so these came out in 1997, so I think that's right after First Contact, but um, I guess Voyager was still going on. Or was it already over by then? I can't remember. I don't recall. But, but it's it, very action-packed from the cover art. Yeah, so these stories are based shortly before the events that we see in the episode The Cage. Very shortly. Yep. In one of the issues. Issue three, in fact. Right, and I think actually... Completely sets it up. I think issue number four is actually a uh, adaptation of The Cage. So it kind of gives you what else was going on uh, to the rest of the crew while Pike was down there. Who, uh, being fooled into uh, thinking she was a Orion slave girl and all that. We may have stuff. we may have to go uh, devote another episode. There's we'll only have to see. There's only 17 issues total of early voyages. So 17 is pretty good. Yeah, it's, it wasn't. It didn't have a very long run. Yeah. All right. So that being said, hope everybody uh, enjoyed it. We we kept it a little briefer than normal. Yes, we did not make our goal, but came darn close. A minute three, not bad. Nope. For us, we tend to be long-winded. So, I hope everybody uh, sticks around, sees us next week, and have a good day. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.